Man, I drank almost all my whiskey that I'd poured. <laughs> Welcome to Fatal Error episode 45. Is this the show? Sure. I am Chris. Uh, and I'm Sarush. And uh, today we wanted to continue a discussion that we had started back in, I think, episode 42. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, when we talked about the actor model in uh, right. the concurrency proposal slash manifesto. The proposed actor model in Chris Latner's draft of a possible concurrency manifesto for Swift. Like, I, I, I do feel like we should be a little bit clear that this is definitely not a done deal, right? No, definitely not. Not even but close. the fact that it's coming from Chris, I think, means that it is something that the Swift team probably has talked about before. Right. It also seems like something that, like, this isn't Chris Latner's first language, and um, he's probably thought about these problems a lot, and so this is, like, kind of his, like, brain dump of all the stuff he's been thinking about for a long time. Um, Not to say that it's necessarily right, but just to say that it is uh, the product of a lot of thought. Well, he and other people have thought about this quite a lot and have landed on kind of similar solutions, and that's what I wanted to talk about today. So this past weekend... I stumbled across a like a bookmark that I hadn't read that was in my like pinboard unread queue uh, from 2013. So, oh wow, yeah, but the queue is now empty, so that's good. <laughs> um, and, and this was talking about it was a post talking about concurrent and distributed programming with Erlang and Elixir. Um, for those of you who might not be familiar with this, Erlang is a programming language and virtual machine, which was developed back in the 1980s at Ericsson, a like telephone company, uh, to provide a highly parallel, highly concurrent, uh, and highly fault-tolerant programming language for use in telecom applications. Um, and uh, Elixir is a like more modern, more Ruby-esque uh, language that's built on the same, uh, like it's built on top of Erlang. It runs on the Erlang virtual machine, and we'll include some some interesting reading about uh, about this in the show notes as well. Uh, but that's really what you need to know for this episode, or that's almost what you need to know for this episode. The other thing you need to know for this episode is that the way Erlang provides this highly concurrent, uh, distributed, and fault tolerant programming environment is uh, with something that looks very, very similar to the actor model like in, in general. Not necessarily super similar to the actor model as, proposed in, in, as Chris has proposed in Swift, but Erlang provides these properties which seem like very good properties and which we know can be used to build uh, like large, distributed, and, and highly concurrent, very reliable systems. Uh, they do it with with the actor model. And in the last episode, or in uh, episode 42, we talked about uh, how in the sort of quote-unquote reliable actors uh, model that Chris proposes, how an application or how the runtime should handle an actor failing or an actor crashing. And uh, I got thinking over this weekend about, um, you know, Erling has handled this problem and, like, deals with it, and I assume deals with it in a fairly successful way. And so I thought that it may be interesting to look at what lessons we may be able to take from the Erling world when thinking about what should happen when a reliable actor crashes in Swift. So, uh, I didn't know much about Erlang before you sent me all this, uh, all this homework to do. And there are a couple of things that I thought were really notable that I think are worth talking about. Um, one is that 
almost every single one of the blog posts that I found about Erlang and specifically about actors in Erlang started off the exact same way, which is like, you know, Moore's Law used to be really good, but now it's kind of letting us down. And instead of adding more clock speed, we're going to be adding more cores. Okay, there's well, going to be thousands of cores per, per processor. And therefore, we need a highly scalable concurrent program. And it was like all of them started exactly like that. Like without fail, like the first three paragraphs were about we're going to have yeah. more cores, we're going to need concurrency, we're going to need parallelism. And um, Erlang brings it to us, and then they would go into the to the definition. Not to not to say that that's wrong or bad, but just to say it was really funny. They were all exactly like that. I'm I'm just going to call out that I really enjoyed the voice that you were using. Yeah, that's that. uh, we got to bring that voice back. More cores, too that, too cores, too furious. Yeah, that's my morning zoo <laughs> voice, or my maybe my monster truck announcer voice. Sunday, so, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> um, the other thing I thought was really cool and notable is that Erlang supports hot swapping code while the process is running. How wild is that? Yeah, completely bananas. And so the whole idea is that the the whole system never goes down even though you're making upgrades to parts of it, which is pretty amazing. And that um, totally makes sense when you consider the origins. That that means that like you can continue to upgrade your system while still like not dropping telephone calls. Right, exactly. And of course the telephone calls like maybe happening while you like update the code. Right. It's completely nuts, right? Yeah, it's it's a really, I I say this not actually having written any Erlang, but it's a really cool language. I guess the other notable thing to call out about it is it's a pure functional language. It's not object-oriented at all. Well, I think the actors are objects. Well, the actors are, so... uh, can we let, let's dive into let's dive in here while I was reading all this I I made a few notes and you just touched on something that is the first bullet point in my notes so so let's dive in um so I'm really really interested to hear what the bullet point is I also have a broad actor model thing I want to touch on so you tell me where that fits in I don't know what your broad actor model thing is, so I don't know where it's right, You do but... your first bullet point, okay. I'll fold my thing in. So my first bullet point is that in Erlang, it's uh, it's cheap to create processes, much cheaper than than creating an, a new process in a like on a conventional operating system. We're talking about processes in the Erlang VM. Uh, these processes are isolated. They don't have any shared state. They communicate solely via message passing. Uh, that message passing is abstracted so that it can work via the network so you can have uh, distributed processes. And these processes can fail independently, and um, that, that works because they don't have any shared state. Uh, so one process can can fail or can crash. And that sounds a whole lot like actors, and particularly like reliable actors that um, were proposed in, um, in Chris's manifesto here. Right. And so that's where, I, I mean, I guess although you don't have... Uh, Erlang isn't like object oriented in that you're creating like an object hierarchy. Uh, you have processes that you pass messages between, and these processes are purely functional. Right. That makes well, they do have state in the sense that you basically get to say the next time I get a message, my current local state should look like this, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. Okay, so you, yeah. So, so that's kind of where I'm at with my first bullet point. Erlang has these quote-unquote processes that look and feel a whole lot like actors and can even be distributed over the network. Right, yes. Um, I 
One of the posts I was reading, I think it's the fifth one in our show notes as of right now. It's the rocketeer.be one. Um, it's mm-hmm. called Concurrency in Erlang and Scala, the actual model. And I don't know what happened, but while I was reading this, I like had like a serious light bulb moment where I like I actually I think I finally actually understood what the actor model is. Um, really? Yeah, that's awesome. So w- we talked last time about like how you know the term object oriented programming has kind of been overloaded, and like the thing that we do in Java, while that's like the most canonical or the, the default thing people think about when they think about object-oriented programming with the inherent hierarchies and the, like, shared mutable memory and everything. Um, that's what people think about when they think about object-oriented programming, but it's not really true to the original whatever. The original thing was about message passing. The original thing was about... By the original whatever, you mean, like, Alan Kay's sort of original object-oriented message passing, small-talky Yeah, idea, exactly. Right? And, and, yeah. And, 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 I, and he, like, one of those... Uh, objects each kind of be their own little computer and to kind of each have their own little state. And the thing that I that that, that clicked for me was um, they talk about, you know, a, a different way of concurrency and they talk about the actor model and they say, this is the problem with threads. Um, and it's like, well, we have to do these, this threading thing because we want execution to happen over here versus over here. Then we don't want to have lost updates where two things read something and then one writes and then the other one writes and then one of those writes is lost. And then so we like introduce locks and then introduce deadlocking and it's like the whole solution to this problem is that it's completely bananas that we allow an object's internal state to be um, mutated mm-hmm. uh, by another object on another thread. And you and, can really, I mean, and you can really see that as just an artifact of the effectively C-based heritage of a lot of modern programming languages, right? Totally, Where totally. you just have a giant array of memory and a bunch of shit operating on that array. Yeah. And that's not at all like small talky object-oriented programming. No. And, and if you think about, well, so if you take the functional Haskell approach, you avoid mutating shared state by basically making the state immutable. In this, you avoid mutating shared state by making the state not shared. So you take away the other side of the problem, and it, it equally solves right. the same thing. And there was like this just elegant, like um, dimorphism, whatever you would call it, a, an elegant parallel structure that I saw. And then just like the whole thing just kind of clicked for me, and I realized like the fact that in Objective C or in Swift today, you can write code where you're you're writing, you know, one thing that mutates your own internal state, and then you call something that has a completion block, and then um, that completion block then fires on any thread, it can just happen anywhere in the system is completely bananas. It is. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. And yeah. Then, and yeah, it's wild. And then the, the Erlang way of doing this is basically you pass yourself as an actor and then you get called back with a message and it's right. your responsibility to handle that message. And mm-hmm. that is just like so much better of a system because you never have to share your state with anybody. All you have to do is make sure that your boundaries uh, are defined well. And that like was a real like light bulb moment for me. And I'm going to pause it here. Like one of the benefits of having well-defined boundaries always is uh, testability. For sure, totally. I know nothing about unit testing Erlang. I'm guessing Erlang process fairly testable. Yeah, because you don't have to worry about asynchronicity. You don't have to worry about like what the object is. Everything is loosely typed, so it's probably really chill to test. Probably, yeah. 
Uh, as long as we're talking about the uh, fifth article in show notes, Concurrency in Erling and Scala, the actor model, uh, I'll note that that article also talks about Scala, where you don't even necessarily have to pass yourself as an actor to whoever you're passing a message to. Uh, Scala has some, um, Scala's actors library has some functionality built in to let you like reply simply without, um, uh, without having to pass yourself as an actor all the time. And so that's, uh, that's a nice bonus too. Right. So, so I actually didn't like that as much just because, um, it can cause deadlocks where if two actors are waiting on each other to reply, then it'll just lock up. Well, that seems bad. That's not being able to, that's not because it like automatically will pass your, will pass like you and let you reply. It's more um, that that has to do with Scala's ability to let you do synchronous calls to other actors, right? Right, and it just seems like you should disallow that if it means you'll never have deadlocks. Yeah, although like that is kind of going back to Scala's more like kind of object oriented, kind of functional, super pragmatic philosophy. But that's not part of the Swift proposal, so um, right. I kind of want to exclude it from discussion right now. Yeah, that seems fair. That seems right. Um, yeah, ju- just just we're noting that Scala has the ability to reply to a thing to like handle the reply, basically. Well, to handle it synchronously instead of asynchronously. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, and interested readers like encourage you to read all of the links in our show notes, but especially <laughs> that this one that discusses Erlang and Scala. Yeah. So, where do we go from here in Erlang? Uh, we have these uh, actors, which are in Erlang are called processes. They're isolated. They can fail independently. What happens when one fails? Right. You need some sort of way to bring it back in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. So crucially, this is um, th- going back to our discussion between option one and option two for dealing in Swift with right. Remind actors me what are the fail. options again. So option one was that you have the opportunity to register sort of a at the application level a failure handler for when an actor fails or when an actor crashes. Right. Option two was to make uh, every method on a reliable actor throw with the semantics that it will throw if that actor has uh, has crashed. Right. Having thought about this, having read about how Erlang and uh, about how Erlang handles this, option one, something like option one, is clearly the right choice. Option two is horrible. Um, <laughs> don't sound dramatic. Option two is a very, very bad choice. Yeah. So the way that Erlang handles this is uh, you have uh, other kinds of actors, other kinds of processes, which are called supervisors. Now, this isn't any sort of like magic uh, god actor that that the runtime provides or that the language provides. These are just other actors. But they're processes that just have the responsibility to watch over one or more other processes and restart them when something goes wrong. So there are a few crucial takeaways here that, that I want to... Um, that, that I want to note first of all is that this is so this is fairly similar to uh, option one in the Swift manifesto in in Chris's Swift manifesto, uh, which is that it's more of an application level failure handler for when something goes wrong. It's not something that we that we push out. It, we don't push this responsibility out to the call sites uh, within actors. Um, like I think I might have said in the last episode, and like I definitely believe now. Uh, option two just pushes way too much responsibility out into like various other parts of your application, and you're probably going to end up resp- delegating a lot of that responsibility back up to some central object, like a supervisor, anyway. 
So supervisors in Erlang just process or an actor like any other that watch some other processes and restart them when something goes wrong. And so there are a few a few things to note. I feel like I'm talking in circles. A few other things to note here. Um, a supervisor is responsible for starting its workers. Uh, in this way, you end up building kind of a, a a tree of supervisors and workers in your Erlang application. Um, so, like your your super a supervisor may be responsible for like some number of workers that just do something, and some number of like other supervisors which themselves could fail and need to be restarted, depending on like how you've structured your application. Um, and these supervisors can be things that you write yourself that are really simple, or uh, the, um, uh, I don't know if this is the language or if it's a standard library-like thing, but um, or if it's a project that like is a standard open source library to include in an Erlang project, but something called OTP, I don't even know what that stands for offhand, I've, I've used to know, but I've forgotten, provides uh, some sort of stock supervisors that will do useful things for you out of the box. And that is kind of what I, that's something that I would like to talk about here. Um, does this all make sense so far? Should I keep talking? Do you want to interject at all? So I have one thing that's not uh, totally clear to me. Um, so first of all, uh, OTP stands for Open Telecom Platform, and it's a framework that basically contains uh, a bunch of things that you will probably want in the course of your, you know, development of your um, system. A number of ready-to-use components, they say. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, my, my, my question that is, like, not clear to me is, is a supervisor something special that's provided by the system, or could I just write my own supervisor as, write my own actor and make it work as a supervisor? Is it, like, a lowercase s supervisor or an uppercase s supervisor? It's not something that is magical and built into the system. And this is kind of cool. And I think it could line up really nicely with Swift's very standard library heavy philosophy. Um, it's something that you can totally build from scratch yourself using primitives in the language, using the language's concur concurrency gotcha. uh, primitives. Uh, and I think that's cool. So you, you can build one yourself or you can use something from OTP um, that, that does something useful out of the box. That makes um, total sense. Okay. So let me, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about how I think this sort of thing could fit really nicely into Swift in the uh, manifesto that, that Chris has written. Um, but I want to go over just a couple of those useful things that the OTP like supervisors can do for you. So you can tell, uh, first of all, you can tell one of these supervisors, uh, only try to retry, uh, like only try to restart these, like your child processes or your child process three times or, you know, so many times, implement some sort of limit, implement some sort of timeout. And if they like keep failing after that, then you yourself should crash, right? You yourself should fail. Right. So, and and you can see where that, like there are any number of cases where that behavior might be useful, particularly in a networked sort of um, application where your actors are distributed, which I think is where Chris is angling in the long term with this manifesto, Right. Right. Uh, there are also some different like restart strategies that you can choose. So uh, you can imagine the case where a supervisor is responsible for some number of workers, and if one of them crashes, you want to just restart uh, that one worker. That makes sense. That's sort of the trivial case, right? Yep. You can imagine a case where maybe there are some like dependencies between these worker processes, and uh, it depends what 
uh, order they're started in. So uh, OTP provides like a, a supervisor that will implement this strategy where if one process dies, if one of its child actors dies, uh, it'll restart that one and everything that was started after it. Mm. So that allows you to maintain the whatever whatever dependencies you had going on, right? Right. Um, that that lets you maintain that graph. Uh, and and there are a couple, uh, there are a few others. There's um, if I'm remembering right, there's one where if one child process dies, uh, you can just kill and restart all of your workers. Like maybe you know that all those workers depend on some common resource, and if one of them dies, screw it, just restart everything. Um. And so you can see where these are like these seem like useful models for dealing with uh, failures of one of these fairly independent actors, right? Right. You almost like so you need some method. Like I think I kind of see this as living between options one and two, where it's not that every method throws, and it's not that there's some global handler that you install, but each worker. Um, that's one of the things, I don't know if you mentioned this, that's one of the things they talk about is like it's either a worker or a supervisor and that like semantic difference helps you keep things clean. Um, each worker basically has a parent and that parent registers, like I think in this sense it sends a signal, um, which is like a low-level POSIX-y type thing. But I think you could, you know, implement that with higher level, um, <clears throat> like some sort of higher level communication pattern and you would just say like, hey, when this thing fails, um, let me know when that thing failed, how that thing failed, and then uh, from that I can build my behavior of my supervisor for like which things should I restart. Yeah, and so I think it's it's important to call out here that this isn't exactly option one. This isn't exactly like uh, implementing an application wide handler for when an actor fails. Yeah. I think that there, if you're opting into this reliable actor model, let's remember that we're talking totally in the context of quote-unquote reliable actors that have these special failure semantics, normal actors, which would be more like standard objects in your application, if one crashes, takes down the application, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but these these reliable actors, I think it probably makes sense... Having thought a little bit about how you might use these, about what kinds of things a reliable actor might represent, I think it makes sense to be able to specify some sort of uh, handler per uh, per actor right. about what happens when one fails. And this is where I think the Swift, uh, like a very standard library heavy, um, not putting too much in like really language primitives philosophy can really come into play. Like maybe you... Maybe at a language level, you do just get a some sort of callback when an actor has failed. And maybe, I haven't thought this through at all, maybe you have some, some special kind of reference to that actor that only lets you do certain operations that we know are going to be safe, given that that actor's memory space might be in some weird state, right? So maybe you have some special kind of reference to this actor that actually lets you do things. Then maybe the standard library can provide some supervisor-like mechanisms for building out this this dependency tree where you can uh where you can like specify which actors depend on which other actors or maybe like which actors start which other actors like it, it seems like there's room here for the standard library to provide some sort of functionality that that lets you opt into different behaviors for for reliable actor failure because 
having thought about this a little more, I don't think there's one right answer, right? There's a, a like replace, uh, replace one actor when one dies. That's not necessarily right. Maybe it's something that can't even be restarted, but like sometimes it is. So this really has to be up to the application, but I think there's a lot of room for like language, the minimum like language level features that are needed to let the standard library uh, implement some of these common options for for what people will actually want to do. Does it, does this make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, and, w- and we talked a little bit about this in the other episode where we said sort of that there are different types of actors and they would need different type of restart strategies. So one we said was like, okay, if you had a big web server and you need a bunch of actors to handle requests, um, those request like if one dies you just respawn it doesn't matter but then if Mm -hmm. you have a different situation like one connection to the database um that might need a slightly different strategy for like restarting Um, where like maybe you restart your actor that has a connection to the database and also restart any actors uh that are depending on that database connection exactly yeah totally totally and this is something I'm really, really liking the philosophy where this isn't something that you necessarily have to implement totally in your application, but where the standard library gives you the tools to say, hey, all these requests are depending on this actor, and uh, there's some sort of policy in place for when uh, for when this database actor fails. Right. I think um, that... For the listener, uh, if you want to follow along with the stuff we're talking about right now, the Who Supervises the super Supervisors article is the third thing in the show notes. Um, has really good diagrams of how each of these like restart strategies works and how these dependency trees like might work. Yeah, I think um I honestly I, I really feel like you, the listener, just read all of the um the especially the like Erlang processes, supervisors. Uh, fault tolerance and Erlang Scala related articles in the show notes. It's going to be really interesting. It'll take less than an hour of your time, maybe an hour yeah. of your time. Yeah, I think uh, an hour of time is right. It, it, the, the articles are really interesting. We will talk about them here. We'll tell you which ones are which. But um, in particular, like I, I wanted to call that up because the images do help while you're listening to the to us talk about it. Yeah, and I've been like thinking a lot about this for the last few days, so I apologize if I'm saying something that seems clear to me, but but I'm not articulating well. I'm I'm sure I'm doing that. But. No, no, I think you're doing a good job. I think you're you're definitely on the right track here. I think both the solution of everything has to throw and the solution of everything um like has to have a global handler, both are kind of distasteful in their own ways. And this one bridges that gap a little bit yeah. where you say, well, some things need to know about it if this fails, but other things don't. Right. It's like we need a per actor handler, but that's not enough. We need we need, we need tooling to implement different behaviors, to implement different policies in that per actor handler. Yeah. And that's now, where I think the standard library comes into play. Yeah. Now, one question that I have is, so in... Um, Erlang, any message that you send is not guaranteed to be received by the actor. It may just kind of get lost in in transmission. I believe that's right. Now, the question is, let's say you have an actor that is reliable. Um, though, so, so it is marked as reliable, and that means that it can fail, which I still think that's a little backwards, but whatever. Uh, yeah, naming is, is now, weird in a few places. but Right, so let's say you have that actor, and you call a message, a, a method on it and you're awaiting that method right 
while you're awaiting that method, that actor may go down because of some other thing that's completely unrelated to what you wanted to do. But because it's a serial queue, your message couldn't get executed until the other message gets executed, that fails, and there's no method to restart the thing. If you're expecting a value back, like let's say you're expecting a non-optional user object, your code can't continue. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, I, I guess you have no option but to crash in that case, right? So you have a couple of options. One is everything that is returned from a um, reliable actor could be forced to be optional. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, or provide some default value in case it fails. So like maybe if it's an option, if it's a boolean, you don't necessarily want to return optional. You just want to return false. There was some mm-hmm. way to do that. Don't like that. Well, like it's like the null object pattern, basically. But whatever. Yeah, some something, um, some way to say uh, this thing didn't go through and um here's the basically like like so we're giving you nil i am just gonna i'm gonna call out that false as a default boolean value is the worst possible illustration of the null object pattern i'm i'm just saying (laughs) damn it i think the user would choose whatever they wanted for that particular thing you could imagine it as just doing like you know question mark question mark and then putting a default value at the end just the point is either returning nil or some other value that could represent like Hey, this failed. It could be an empty array. It could be whatever, whatever you want it to be. You could have that. Just it was an idea. It's not important to the core of the thing. Yeah. So you could either have it crash the app. You could have it terminate execution at that point and just terminate the code routine. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to trash the app. It has to crash that actor. Well, but it, even if it's in the main app's actor, you could terminate that code routine and then terminate the code routine that calls that all the way up until you hit a begin async, terminate that, and then you're good. That's one option. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's one option. Mm-hmm. And then the other option is to go back to everything throws. Yeah, that's true. So I hadn't really thought about, mm, yeah. Is there any requirement that things that call into reliable actors also themselves have to be reliable actors? I don't No, so. you would have to have some way of catching that error. Yeah. I, mm. I think, so actually kind of now that I think about it, it does make some sense that all of the reliable actor methods throw because they represent something that is going to take a while to get is across some kind of network boundary. There are myriad things that can go wrong when that happens, not just the actor went down, but also connection is weak, timed out, database line, hard line got cut. All these but like, what do you do when that throw? Okay, so it throws because the other actor crashed. I mean, what do you do from there? Same thing as we do anywhere, which is nothing. <laughs> just quote unquote handle the error. Return empty yeah. error. <laughs> return empty or, or fatal error. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> ding. Uh, no, I think that <laughs> having not thought this through very much yet, I think that the right thing to do is if you're like awaiting on, um, if you're awaiting on a message from like a reliable actor and that reliable actor crashes, uh, I think you crash too, and. Maybe, and if you're not a reliable actor, then the then the entire application crashes. If you are a reliable actor, then you have crashed, and maybe whoever is supervising your particular chain of dependencies restarts you in a sane way, or maybe not, and that's fine. Right, right. yeah. To be totally clear, I do think that, like, what, what I'm getting at is some combination of every method throws and, like, installing... I don't think every method should throw. I so, really don't. But but how do you handle the case where you, the the actor got torn down before your message got fired and now your coroutine is hanging? 
do you do the optional? Do you do the throws? Do you do the terminate the code routine? Or do you crash? Do you know, I don't think you have any other options. You have to pick one. Or you say every reliable actor has to be brought up eventually or something. Given the uh, given that scenario, I think you crash. I'm a little bit uh, now. I'm curious about how do you know when you're like waiting on a message from something that has crashed? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a funny idea. Mm. There's maybe some kind of mechanism with like how weak weak works. Like it will get nilled out, not necessarily yeah. nilled out, but something would message it and and put it through the system. Yeah, I think there there must be. I mean, if it would be possible to throw. Which is one of the options? Then it clear. Then it must be possible to. Yeah, like, exactly. There's some, some way to crash some way back. To yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or you could switch to a system where every message is truly asynchronous and truly, what do they call it, like send once or whatever, and you don't hear back. You may just never hear back, and you have to set up your own timeout handlers or whatever. That's going to be hard for people to start using. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I, but that's kind of where I'm getting at is like. With a reliable actor, you have to have something for those messages that can't be executed. Yeah, then you crash, and and you and but either you, you you can't just crash like like you have to sure handle. You can. It. So you're saying if like then what's the point of having a reliable actor? That if if, can... if, it, if it goes down, everything's just going to crash. That's waiting on it. Well, no, not every. Well, everything that's waiting on it, because what else is going to happen? Everything that's waiting on it is going to like is going to re- like return nil and like send an error back like yeah, maybe one or the other maybe you crash and what whatever restart policy is applied to your database controller like realizes oh this database controller crashed uh all these things are waiting on it i'm going to restart all of those at the same time i restart my database actor right and like you get a chance you get a couple chances to try again and if that doesn't work, then like the crash goes up the chain and maybe the server just like stops routing requests for a little while while you're waiting for the database to come back. Yeah. Um, like, I think that's... This kind of like lands me in that same place of like that we talked about at the top of the show of this is like, it's just object-oriented programming implemented poorly. And when you implement it poorly and you have, let's say a message that's, isn't actually a message, but it's actually a function call that you can await the results of, mm-hmm. you end up in, in a sticky situation. Yeah, and I'm a little bit... So I will admit I'm a little bit fuzzy on exactly what the semantics should be here in Swift, like what this looks like in the language. I'm mostly trying to look at the big picture kind of ideas here for what we can take away. Like... I I don't know exactly what it looks like to specify some sort of policy that says when the database server fails, like these these other actors need to be restarted. Uh, I don't know exactly what it looks like to establish that relationship, but I think it's important that we be able to establish that relationship. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's right, and I think the like having a parent for an actor approach is the right approach for handling restarts. But I don't know if it's enough. Well, remember, for handling restarts, or if you've tried enough times and can't restart, or crashing itself, and then, right. like, whatever's above that uh, does does the same thing. Yeah. 
Um, one other question that I have about what this looks like in Swift, what do references to reliable actors look like, particularly reliable actors that are distributed, that you're talking to over the network? Is this just like a memory address that has a some sort of like proxy object that handles the, that's like half runtime magic that handles this interaction over the network? Or like, what does that look like? Like That is actually a great, great point, Chris, because... What is at the memory address underneath one of these references? So, yeah, some kind of proxy definitely has to exist there. But you know how you can mark something in Swift as weak? Mm -hmm. And if it's weak, it has to be optional? Yeah. What if any reference to a reliable actor had to be optional? And then um, any message you call on it, you call with optional chaining, and that's your error handling. Is if it comes back as yeah. nil, then you know that your actor doesn't exist. This is the same as forcing like everything to throw, and then forcing everything that touches one of these to deal with a possible failure. That is the wrong. That that feels wrong to me. But the fact is that those things can fail, and they can fail at any time, and they can even fail on messages that you didn't even ask for. And so maybe if you like expect them to possibly fail, then you represent your reference to this actor as an optional. But isn't that what reliable means is that I expect this to fail at some point in the future? Not necessarily. I think there are, I think you have things that you expect might fail. And there are things that like, if it fails, you're in kind of an, oh my God, this failed. What is happening? State. Right. Like there are things that like fail sometimes and that's fine. And there are things like fail sometimes, and when it fails, it means like half of your data center's on fire. Yeah. So what you could do with that is if you expect like, hey, if this thing goes down, like my whole option go down, then you just do like my actor exclamation point dot the method that you want to call on it. Yeah, that huh. Huh. I mean that 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 mechanism uh, exists in the language. Yeah. Feels messy, but um, does that mechanism still allow for specifying any like restart policies and like possibly custom supervisors? Yeah, I would say it would go, it would be like, I would want that and I would want the system where you have like a signal for the thing went down and um, I want to, I want to handle a restart. And maybe mm. the, ideally if the restart could happen before the thing returns an optional, that would be ideal. And then that message just gets resent. Um, I think, but I think the true thing that I actually want is like, you shouldn't be able to return anything from an actor. Well, you're going to have to be able to return things from, well, do you want, do, you're going yeah, to have to be able to get data from an actor, like from actor A to actor B back to actor A. Right. I, I want true message passing is what I want. And I want. So you're saying you want like actor B to have to pass a message back to actor A? Either that or. Or, like, it does that, and that just is the code routine, and... I mean, that can happen under the hood. That's fine. Like, yeah, you can use async await syntax, and the compiler can can separate this into, like, the right messages that go back and forth, and then the other the, the coroutine A continues. Like, that's, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Like... Compiler magic. Thank you, compiler developers. All right, so... Uh... So we're running a bit long here. Uh, all these uh, episodes have been pretty long, uh, which has been fun yeah. to do. Um, oh, it's been so much fun. Outside of our wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, it definitely has been a little bit outside. Of, I mean, certainly outside of my wheelhouse. If any of uh, you, our listeners, have have feedback, positive or negative, uh, if I've gotten yeah. anything horribly wrong. Uh, well, also, please, if I you mean, like the long episodes versus if you that. prefer the short ones, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, let us know what you think about just about this episode in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool, Chris. As always, it was great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, it was great to talk to you as well. This has been a fun discussion, which I'm sure we'll revisit. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners. We we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and uh, we'll call... pay, pay for our Patreon so you can get access to the other episodes about Async, Kuwait, and uh, actors. Uh, yeah, I was just going to call out we do have a Patreon, and our Patreon supporters are paying for uh, production costs, editing costs, hosting costs, and we uh, we really appreciate the support. It really does mean a lot to us, and, and thank you to those of us who are supporting us on Patreon. Uh, there will be a link for that in the show notes. And uh, it is uh, 11 at night, so I think I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Sounds good, Chris. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Serge. <laughs> Bye.